from the newsroom of The Washington Post. Hey, it's Ross Helderman from The Post calling. How are you? Hey there, it's Sungman from The Post. Uh, hey, it's Dave Farron from The Post. This is Post you? Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Thursday, March 26th. Today, what the stimulus package could mean for you. What's next for restaurant workers and the people who can't afford to stock up? Broadly, how have average Americans and small businesses been feeling the economic effects of the coronavirus pandemic? This is totally unprecedented. I'm Heather Long, the economics correspondent at The Washington Post. It's causing havoc, the likes of which haven't been seen probably since the Great Depression, the 1930s. And it's happening so quickly. I had to lay off five people, good people, people that did not need to be fired. Almost everybody in the antique and collectibles business closed their doors. I think there's one that stayed open. They had spoken to one of the managers and that tomorrow, Monday, would be our last day working. Millions of Americans have lost their jobs and countless small businesses that we all know in our own communities, from bakeries to restaurants to gyms. I am a florist in Kansas City. I'm an internet retailer. I was a safari guide at the Rainforest Cafe. Have just closed overnight. Basically half the economy, at least, is shut down right now. And that's probably going to be true at least through the end of April. I live in the Smoky Mountains, East Tennessee area. I live in New York City. In Disney Springs in Orlando, Florida. And we have a 65-year-old family business that my parents started when they were newlyweds. By Monday morning, we had every wedding canceled for the next two months. So trying to hold people over so they literally don't go bankrupt is what everyone's goal is right now. I was had a successful business. We had quarterly goals and plans. Those quarterly goals are now gone. So we've really been affected on our day-to-day business. It's slowly come to a halt. Realistically, we probably, for the first time in 65 years of being in the business, our family will no longer have a business. My only quarterly goal at this point is survive. After days of intense discussions, the Senate has reached a bipartisan agreement on a historic relief package for this pandemic. On Wednesday night, the Senate unanimously passed the largest economic rescue package in U.S. history. It will rush new resources onto the front lines of our nation's health care fight. It's got a lot in it. Cash for individual Americans, loans for big and small businesses, added unemployment benefits, and more. And it will inject trillions of dollars of cash into the economy as fast as possible. The House is expected to pass this bill on Friday. In particular, everybody agrees you need to help these laid-off workers. You need to help small businesses. And there's a little bit of help for most parts of the economy. Because obviously our goal here is to save lives. It's to keep people at home so we can literally save lives. The more we can pay people and incentivize people to stay in their homes, you know, the better off this society will be health-wise and hopefully the quicker we can get back to a more normal economy by the summer. 
So one of the major proposals that both Republicans and Democrats on Capitol Hill have been talking about for the past week is this idea of sending individual checks to, like, basically every American. So is that actually going to happen? Is that passing? Yes, uh, the government is about ready to send those checks out, uh, hopefully starting in April. And the basics are anybody who earns, any individual adult who earns up to $75,000 a year will get a check from the government for $1,200. And if you have a child and you're in that income range, you would get an additional $500. And so is this just for people who make less than $75,000 a year? It does phase a little bit. So if you make, if you're somebody who makes 76000 a year, you don't suddenly get $0. You would still get a payment. It would just be slightly less. Most people earning up to about 100000 if you're a single individual or uh, close to 200000 if you're a married couple that files jointly will at least get something. It will be slightly smaller than that $1,200 check. How does the government know where to send it is probably the biggest question that I get from readers. It's a good question. If you filed your 2019 tax return, so that's the one most of us, myself included, are working on right now. Uh, if you've already filed that and you're a good person uh, for getting it in, then they will look at the direct deposit. Um, so try to get your bank account numbers in order to send that to you right away. If they don't have your tax 2019 tax return, they will turn to your 2018 tax return, so your one that you filed a year ago, and, and take the direct deposit information from there. And if there's no bank account, then they will turn to your address and send it to the address. So the pool of people who are qualifying for this, they're all taxpayers. Like You have to be a taxpayer to be able to benefit from this. You do have to have a social security number. So obviously most American citizens have that, and so do green card holders. But one of the big misconceptions is what about people on social security? So retirees who receive social security or people on disability. And the good news for them is they don't have to file a tax return in order to get this money. If you are someone on social security, then the government knows who you are, they know you don't make a lot of money, and they will send you this check through whatever means you normally receive your Social Security. Are there any specific parts of this stimulus package that are aimed specifically at people who have lost their jobs in the last few weeks? Definitely. Obviously, these checks, they're hoping to get out very quickly to people who either lost their jobs or have reduced hours. I, I, I really hope we do get the stimulus checks in April. Um, it would mean so much. That $1,000 means so much more to me than $1,000 has ever meant to me. My name is Sarah Kowili, and I live in Orlando, Florida. It's something that I've been talking to a lot of laid-off workers about is trying to get unemployment insurance. Rainforest Cafe in Disney Springs is an icon. You know, we have three-hour waits constantly. Like We are always busy. We don't even like to close for hurricanes. We're told we were laid off. They just said, like, all right, apply for unemployment and we'll give you a message with links on how to apply the information that you'll need to apply. And that's it. At the moment, the average unemployment insurance is about $385 a week. So it usually makes up less than half of what somebody was earning before. I have rent for this month. All of my bills for April I have tucked away. And then 
I don't know. This bill, when it makes its way through Congress and the president signs it, it will increase that amount by $600. So now you're going from earning under $400 on unemployment insurance to earning close to $1,000 a week. So that's a pretty big help. The other thing it does is because this crisis is impacting so many self-employed and gig workers from the Lyft drivers to the hairdressers, the expanded unemployment insurance in this bill will cover those people. And is there anything else in this bill that is aimed particularly at individuals who are struggling right now and particularly low-income people? There was definitely bipartisan support to do as much as possible for people who are struggling right now. So a couple of things are there's um, expanded food stamps, again, trying to get aid to people so they can literally go buy groceries. For federal student loans, for people who still have student loan payments, you don't have to make those until September 30th, and it's interest-free. So if you're not paying in May or April or June, um, you won't be socked with late fees. So that's another way to try to reduce the number of bills people have to pay right now. Another option is there's the ability to withdraw money from your retirement accounts, particularly 401ks, penalty-free right now. So you can basically take a short-term loan from that. For people who need the money right now, it's another resource they can tap without getting any fees. We've also heard a lot of discussion about how hard it is to be the owner of a small business right now. We were talking about which staff we're going to have to keep or fire, um, which um, expenses we're going to have to cut back on. um, And we're going to have to do this in a pretty severe way. You can't pay your employees. You might not be able to pay rent for your business or some of the other overhead costs that are difficult in a time when you basically have no business coming in. Hi, my name is Blake Cabot. Uh, I sell a bunch of different things online, flags and clown supplies and face paint. My name is Billy McNamara. I live in the Smoky Mountains, East Tennessee area. The business is called Mountainside Mercantile. Hi, my name is Lauren and I am a florist in Kansas City. All my websites like facepaint.com sells to professional face painters. Well, that sounds great, except for the no birthday parties going on. The no birthday parties, the no face painters at the birthday parties. Because there's no face painters at the birthday parties, they don't buy face paint. And we are also unable to deliver flowers to high-risk areas like hospitals and funeral homes. We rely on tourism in our area where our shop is. And as the tourism dropped off, our business went to almost nothing. So when you get rid of hotels and you get rid of... uh, all these public spaces that we used to be able to go to, birthday parties, then just a whole chunks of the economy just absolutely fall away. And that's exactly what's happened to me. So what is going to happen to small business owners? This was one of the easiest parts of the bill to agree on for Republicans and Democrats. There's close to $400 billion in extra relief in this bill. Most of it is through loans, through the Small Business Administration, so these SBA loans. And people who own small businesses, including self-employed, can get up to $10 million. And most of that is supposed to go to pay your employees or to pay rent, so your like core expenses for the next several weeks. There is also an opportunity in this bill for those loans to become outright grants, so money that would not have to be paid back. They're saying, look, if you continue to pay your employees 
um, then we will basically forgive these loans. It's a tricky proposition, though. I've talked to a lot of business owners, you know, look at some of the restaurants. They've already laid people off. So it's this debate of, do I bring my workers back? Do I use this loan to pay them? They want to help their workers. But you know, how long can they keep this, this cycle going? And the last major part of this bill that we haven't talked about yet is benefits for corporations and for larger companies. And it seems like that was a big thing that was a sticking point for Democrats and Republicans in trying to negotiate this deal. So what came out of this? Like, what are corporations getting from this? This was a tricky one. Everybody hates the word bailout. And particularly after what happened in the Great Recession in 2008-09, people didn't want to look like they were just handing out money to their favorite corporate lobbyists. So in the end, uh, about a quarter of the bill, so close to $500 billion out of the $2 trillion, is going to mainly to large corporations. In particular, there is money that's going to Boeing, uh, to basically bail them out through low-interest loans, same way for the other airlines, companies, the commercial airlines, as well as cargo airlines. So they are getting their own special relief. And the rest of the money, there's sort of a, a, a pool of money that other businesses like hotel chains can apply for, potentially cruise lines. So there's kind of that pocket of money that's going to be run through the Treasury. And that's where a lot of the sticking point was. And Democrats negotiated hard because they wanted to make sure, for instance, the Trump hotels wouldn't get any money and benefit from this. But the bulk of the money is actually about $400 billion going to go, looks like, through the Federal Reserve. What they can do is what they've been do, trying to do the last few days, but now they're going to get even more money to do it. They can turn around and sort of do broad-based loans to banks or to the market to encourage more loans to be given to big, big companies. So when you look at this aid package in total, who do you think is being left out of it? It's not so much that they're totally left out, it's that they're not getting enough. And the two key groups in that category are hospitals. You know, they're getting about $200 billion. A lot of people think they should be getting a lot more, given that they're on the front lines of this crisis. The other critical part is state and local governments. So you saw on Wednesday, New York Governor Cuomo immediately come out and trash this bill. He said, I'm telling you, these numbers don't work. Because New York was supposed to get about $4 billion in, in aid. And his point was, for states that are in, in cities that are really the epicenter of these outbreaks, the costs are, are just skyrocketing and there needs to be more of a backstop for, for them. So then do you think this package is going to be able to do enough and to do enough quickly enough to actually make a difference? So an economist said to me today that, this is a huge help, what Congress did, but it's not going to prevent a recession. What we're really hoping is that this bill prevents another depression like what we saw in the 30s. The latest forecasts predict upwards of 40 million Americans could lose their job in April, and we're already seeing several million people laid off so far, and that April could see literally half the economy's output just wiped out. We have never seen that before in the United States, not even during the Great Depression. 
And so that's the magnitude of what we're dealing with. Heather Long is an economics correspondent for The Post. If you want to know how much money you'll get from this emergency aid package, we have a calculator that can help with that. You can enter your income and your family situation, and it spits out an estimate of what you'll receive. Heather worked on it along with graphics editors at The Post. You can find a link at postreports.com. On Thursday morning, we found out that 3.3 million Americans filed for unemployment in the last week alone. It's the biggest jump in jobless numbers in history. Many of those requests are coming from the hundreds of thousands of restaurant workers who've been laid off. People like this woman. At first, not going to lie, it was kind of, I was kind of happy because I, I was just like, ah, oh, man, like, I get a break from work. But then after the first week, it just sucked. My name is Arlena Bain. I am 28 and I live in Menlo Park, California. So I work for a restaurant called Wahlburgers. Uh, it's Mark Wahlberg's restaurant. It went from them cutting our hours to them just completely laying us off because there's just no business right now. There's no, no hours for anyone. So we know that thousands and thousands of people in the restaurant industry have been laid off my name is Emily Heil, and I am a food reporter for The Washington Post. Walk me through what has been happening with restaurant workers ever since the start of the coronavirus outbreak. Well, it moved really quickly. First, there was a concern about hygiene and sanitation, and that was the focus of restaurants and restaurant workers. They were monitoring their own people to make sure that workers weren't working sick. They were trying to reassure customers about the spread within their own restaurants. But quickly, the concern became not just sanitation within the restaurant and sort of moving tables far enough apart, that's when the closures started because of various directives, depending on their city, banning certain numbers of gatherings, shutting down restaurants, not allowing them to do regular sit down. Many places went to delivery and takeout only. And with a lot of people at home, it just dried up restaurant traffic to the point that many places were closing anyway. And so a lot of restaurants were closed. They said that we couldn't operate in this sort of environment. And many decided not to do takeout or delivery, either because they couldn't, that wasn't enough to support them, or they just didn't think that it was, uh, it was, it was too much of a risk to have workers um, coming in and interacting with the public. So for the people who have now been laid off, what are they doing? Like, what can they do right now? A lot of them are filing for unemployment insurance. That's been complicated, from what I understand. A number of the uh, the sites that that people have to to use to file for that have been difficult, have been bulky. So people are trying to do that. Restaurant workers are also trying to help one another 
and in dealing with landlords and trying to negotiate for rents and those sort of things. There are all sorts of funds to help each other out, but those are things that the community is doing for itself. A number of them, I think, just feel a little displaced. I mean, these are people who are used to working very hard, and they're also used to having options. In many, many cities, um, it's very hard for, for restaurants to hire good workers. And so, you know, if you're a server and you leave one restaurant, you can always just go get hired at another one. And that's just not the case anymore. So what are restaurant workers saying about what this experience has been like for them? It's been very stressful, I think, for many people, for the reasons that we've talked about. But I was so struck by all the workers that I spoke to you know, whatever their situation was, however dire it was, rent due, bills to pay, uncertain futures, I was so amazed that every single one of them said that they knew others had it worse off. So in some way they felt lucky. And that was just such a a kind of touching thing that I think that that they can all imagine someone else having it harder than they do. And so I think very few were willing to really feel very sorry for themselves, which I I found pretty remarkable. We've also heard different states trying to put in emergency measures that would allow people to pay their rent late or forgo their payment or come up with some other solution with their landlord. From the people that you've talked with, does it sound like a lot of them are being affected by these measures or not really? There's just so much uncertainty now. I think there was hope that there might be some rent relief, but no one is sure if that's going to work out. And right now it's just something that you have to talk to your landlord about individually. And so I think no one was sure how that was going to work out. Now, these were people that I spoke to last week. And so things have been moving so quickly that for many of them, their situation might be entirely different this week. And I would have to think that it might even be more dire because they haven't gotten any good news. There has been no sort of certainty about what kind of relief they're going to be given. Emily Heil is a food reporter for The Post. As the coronavirus outbreak has gotten more serious over the past few weeks, the Centers for Disease Control has been telling Americans to stay home and stock up on groceries, especially if they're older or have chronic conditions. Hi, Alba. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. So we're just going to have a little conversation. Alba Batarai is the retail reporter for The Post. She spoke with our producer, Jordan Marie Smith, about why the most vulnerable people are having a hard time stocking up. For many Americans, particularly older ones who rely on Social Security checks, this is much harder than it seems. I talked to a number of people around the country who rely on monthly checks that, you know, perhaps arrive on the third Wednesday of the month or the second Thursday of the month or whatever the case may be. And what happens is that they use these checks to pay their rent, their bills, and then whatever money they have left over, about $150 or $200, they'll spend on their month's worth of groceries. So a lot of times they're waiting for this check to come in, for them to be able to pay off their other bills, and then whatever is left over is what they take to the supermarket. So the idea of just going to the store because there's a pandemic and stocking up is just so out of reach for them. Tell me about someone that you talk to about their experience right now. 
So one of the people I spoke to was Patricia Brown. I'm 69 and a half. I'll be 70 in May. And I live in Burlington, North Carolina, Alamance County. She's a retired courtroom clerk and she relies on two checks a month. I receive a social security check that normally comes in on the third Wednesday of the month. And I also receive a state retirement check that comes in on the 25th of the month. A round figure would be around $1,800 per month. She uses one of those checks to pay off all of her bills and the other one also to pay bills, but then she usually has about $150 or $200 left for groceries at the end of the month. What did she say about how she is living right now and her experience of going to the grocery stores? In many ways, she's living the same as she always has. She's going shopping on the third Wednesday of the month to buy a month's worth of groceries. And that hasn't changed, you know, despite whatever else is going on, people being told to hunker down, she that hasn't changed for her. What has changed is what's available at the supermarket. She has a fairly standard list of inexpensive essentials that she buys every month. Pasta, bread, ground beef, um, you know, noodles, distilled water for her sleep apnea machine. But this month when she went shopping, she says a lot of those things were sold out because people have been buying up these items to prepare for this pandemic. It almost uh, looked like a, a ghost town inside of the grocery store. That's the best way I know how to describe it, because usually the shelves are fully stocked. But as soon as I entered, I noticed that everything was different because you can see straight down the aisle as you enter. I could tell there was no hamburger and no chicken at all. A lot of the shelves were just completely empty. It depressed me a little because the shelves that were empty were mainly the things that I needed. Knowing that you need things to survive for the month and because the shelves are empty and due to the fact that you have to wait for your money to come in to purchase these items, To sum it up, I think uh, a good word would be helpless because there's nothing that you can do about it. So this is Patricia's case. This is what she's going through right now. But is she alone? Not at all. One in nine Americans last year, roughly 37 million of them, experienced some sort of food insecurity. And now experts are saying that number could easily double in the next few months, if not weeks, as we see sort of cascading layoffs around the country, all sorts of new economic situations creating an entirely new vulnerable population. And in a lot of cases, we're seeing an entirely new group of people who are struggling financially as layoffs mount across the country. What are they having to do for food? Well, they're doing the best they can to make ends meet. They're cleaning out the back of their pantries and their freezers, but they're also increasingly going to food banks. And food banks across the country have reported a two to four times increase in the number of people who are coming in. There are lines of cars in the thousands in many states as people try to get these necessities at food pantries and food banks. A lot of those places are also running out of staples, you know, running out of things like pasta and rice, canned foods. Because the demand is so high at the same time that supply is shrinking. 
Abba Batarai covers retail for The Post. That's it for Post Reports. Thanks for listening. We've received a lot of voice memos from listeners about their coronavirus experience, and we're looking for a few more, specifically from people who've been seriously economically impacted by what's been happening. If that's you, record a short voice memo and email it to postreports at washpost.com. Be well and stay safe. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen.